Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast, a curated series of interviews and discussions highlighting the three shields of orthopedic surgery at Mayo Clinic, clinical practice, research, and education. Welcome to the Mayo Orthopedic Residency Podcast. I'm really excited to welcome our guest today, Christopher Camp. Chris is an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist here at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. He did residency here at Mayo Clinic and a sports medicine fellowship at HSS. He is also team doctor for the Minnesota Twins and has a special interest in shoulder and elbow and particularly shoulder and elbow throwing injuries. In addition, he is heavily involved in the Mayo Orthopedic Residency as well as the Sports Medicine Fellowship. And just today I looked him up in PubMed and at his young age he has 160 peer-reviewed publications. I'm not sure how you do it, Chris, but welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks very much, Dr. Barlow. Really appreciate you having me. I'm excited to have you on today because what we really want to dig into is what exactly are we all looking for in a resident at Mayo Clinic? And I think this topic continues to come up. Certainly residents ask us as they go through. And in the application season now, applicants are thinking, what does a good or successful or effective Mayo Clinic orthopedic resident look like? So in your mind, what characteristics do you look for in a Mayo orthopedic resident to be effective? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And you know, in a lot of sense, or a lot of ways, it's actually getting hard because our applicants are so competitive. And when you look at them on paper, the board scores, the grades, the letters of recommendation, everything are just stellar, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of applicants. So they're in a really tough spot. And I think that Mayo, we, we tend to view things a little bit differently than a lot of programs. You know, obviously, there's a lot of emphasis put on grades and, and these different metrics that we have, which I think are important. Um, but at Mayo, we're fortunate enough to have a relatively large residency program. We have 13 uh, residents per class. And I think because of those large numbers, that gives us some ability to be somewhat flexible. And what do I mean by that? I, I think what we're looking for, and when somebody comes into our program, is people who are diverse in their backgrounds and their past, but also diverse in their future goals and what they want to accomplish. So what I mean by that, more specifically, if we, if we talk about the past, you know, we, we love to have a, a great mix of people who are coming from different backgrounds, different areas, different race, ethnicity, different genders, uh, different upbringings, different things that brought them to orthopedics, all of those sort of things, because we feel like that makes for a great mix of people in a, in a great learning environment. And then in terms of their diverse future goals, we, we really don't have a specific stereotype that we're looking for. A lot of people, I think, have the misconception that at Mayo, most of the people are academics, so we're looking for academic superstars who want to publish and do a lot of research. And that's actually not the case. I think in an ideal world, out of our 12 or 13 residents, we would have a few that want to go, uh, or, you know, a handful that are wanting to do academics, a handful that want to go into private practice, maybe some that are really interested in administrative type things, some that want to work in industry, um, ones that want to go to all different specialties, some going to the mission field, a little bit of everything. So that's sort of what we're looking for. Uh, when we're trying to review these applicants. Yeah, that's interesting. So not exactly one specific prototype of, a, of an effective resident. And I think like to your point, 
there's fairly compelling data that teams with different styles and different types of people are more effective. And that's something it sounds like you really look for in the program. Yep, absolutely. And so I, I would say, ideally, we want a great mix of, of all of those different factors. But I do think probably the one thing we want all of our incoming residents to have is a desire to be the best in the world at something. And we don't necessarily care what that something is. And, and it might be that they maybe they do want to publish a ton of research, or maybe they do want to be the next chair of an orthopedic department or a president of the academy, or maybe they want to go into private practice and just do general orthopedics, but they really want to be extremely skilled and good at it and know what they're doing. So it, to us, it really doesn't matter what they want to do as long as they want to be the best at it. And I think that's important for us too, because I feel like Mayo's uniquely positioned that we have the ability to train residents in, down all those different pathways. I think if, if you look across the country, orthopedic residency programs are fantastic, you know, across the board. And, and they, they'll do a great job of training people to be orthopedic surgeons. Um, but I think that, you know, some programs are really good at sort of making you a, a private practice surgeon or making you an ac academician or making you a sort of um, administrative type person. And I think what we strive for is a balanced curriculum and education that gives you the ability to be great at any of those things, which I think is important because oftentimes the things that residents and applicants want when they come in may not necessarily be the thing that they want while they're there and when they leave. And so I think it's helpful for them to sort of have that flexibility to be able to change what their goals are along the way. And I think Mayo can help them do that. No question. And, and I know you, you've used the term for that um, desire to achieve at the highest level. Uh, remind me what that is. It's rage. Uh, rage, rage to master. Rage yeah. to master. And I, rage I, I, really, to master. I really like that, that concept too, which is mm -hmm. sort of a daily conquest for all of us or um, battle each day is to try and get better and better. That's great, exactly. Chris. We'll, we'll get a little bit more into the nuts and bolts. For all the applicants out there this year, for the 2021 application process, which is going to be crazy. And I know we're going to, we've talked about this in some other podcasts and videos, but what do you think are key factors that you're going to look for in applicants for medical school students this, this year? And potentially is that any different than in, in other years? Yeah, I would say yes and no. And I know there's a lot of uncertainty out there about this year specifically because of things being more virtual than they were in the past. But what I would tell you is I think that the application is going to be very similar. And obviously there's a certain threshold or bar that people tend to have when they come to orthopedics with, you know, good, good grades, good board scores, honors, great letters of recommendation. So we still look for all of those things. Um, and then in our rotators who are usually here with us, we look at those things plus how passionate are they? How well do they work within a team? What is their work ethic and their character? And I think those are the types of things that would be a little bit more difficult to do in a virtual environment. Um, but we've worked really hard to try to put some things together that will allow us to assess that. So we're going to have some enhanced video interviews, multiple interviews with different people and other ways to connect with people. So we'll still work really hard to tease those things out. And I think we'll, I think we should be able to. That's great. So you, you, one of the things you mentioned is passion. I think that brings us to this concept that uh, you, myself and Dr. Turner the outgoing program director I've worked on, which is this idea of a resident wheel. Can you give us, um, for the viewers, uh, I'll put up a graphic that shows that. And for people listening, you can find a link uh, below the video or below the uh, podcast to look at what this wheel looks like. But can you give us the idea of how it came about 
and um, start to lead us through uh, each of the aspects of the wheel? Sure. Yeah, this, this wheel has been several years in the making, uh, and, it, and it really started with us sort of asking, what is the goal of orthopedics residency? What should we be trying to do? What, what is the level that we should be helping these residents achieve? And so we actually surveyed several hundred incoming residents and several hundred members of the AOA who are sort of leaders in our field, asking them their opinions on that to sort of see what are the differences between those two groups and then how do we get them from, from point A to point B. And then we, we took those results and analyzed them and then sort of put them together along with our experience and our interest and kind of came up with this wheel that you see before us. And the thought here is that we, we have to sort of break things into their individual components rather than just looking at a, a picture as, as a whole. Oftentimes, I think there's this misnomer that people will say, well, that's a bad resident or that's a good resident which I think is an, a huge oversimplification that can be really damaging, not only to the resident, but also to the program. And in reality, doing, in doing this for a while, I've never seen a resident that was bad at everything, and I've never seen one that was perfect at everything. So in reality, they all have some areas where they need to improve and some areas where they're excelling at. And I think part of the key is trying to pinpoint which they're doing well at and which they're they're struggling with. So we, we uh, sort of subdivided everything into three main categories, knowledge, skills, and behavior. And then with, within each of those, there's sort of the raw tools that you need, as well as the application of those tools. So in the, in the knowledge category, there's a fund of knowledge. So you actually have to know the material, but then there's the applied knowledge. So you actually have to apply it, put it together, uh, and make clinical decisions and surgical decisions. And so each of the each of those three categories is broken down like that. And what what that allows us to do is it allows us to evaluate residents in reference to to each of those domains. And we may say, hey, you're you're doing fantastic in book knowledge, applied knowledge, manual dexterity. However, you're struggling with your execution. Your character's fantastic, but you're struggling with the social intelligence piece of it. So we can say you're doing great on four out of the six areas. It's really these two. So let's take our time. Let's focus on those two to try to get you better, um, to, to make you the best you that you can be. Yeah, that's, I think it's great. And it allows you to really be granular in terms of how you have these discussions, both with residents who are working with us, but also even amongst residents. You shared a story. Um, can you share it about one of your, one of your classmates? And I think you guys had sort of synergistic weaknesses and strengths how did that process go through as you look at it in the context of the resident wheel yeah absolutely so this was before we had sort of come up with this concept of the resident wheel but it was it was happening without us realizing one of my classmates um and i won't i won't say his name casey casey's listening um was extremely brilliant i mean this he was sort of one of the hundredth percentile on the oite kind of guys every year but was incredibly unorganized and and I was I was the opposite. I I was not. I had to work a lot harder uh, to build the fund of knowledge. Never scored anywhere near the hundredth percentile on the OITE. So I struggled in that area, but was reasonably well organized and and sort of had plans and um, uh, on productivity and execution. And so the two of us were both talking about this one day, and we realized that we could each help one another quite a bit. And so I had him help me come up with a study plan. And sort of targeted my my specific needs, which helped me dramatically in terms of my OIT and boards. And then I helped do the same thing for him in terms of 
balancing sort of organizing his research and email and daily logistics. And so we each were able to do the same thing for one another. We sort of said, you know, here are all the things you're good at. Here's the one you're struggling with and vice versa. And it was extremely beneficial. We learned a lot from one another. That's awesome. And you guys, you guys got there without the wheel, but you might've gotten there a little bit quicker if you had the wheel in it, your it hands. It might not time. have taken us so long. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yep. So that that's really interesting. And one of the things that I hear a lot of times, and, and as you look at the wheel, you've got a couple things on there, particularly manual dexterity, you've got fund of knowledge, applied knowledge. And I think that these are things certainly as med students, but even as residents that we think of as skills that you're either born with or you're born without. What are your thoughts about these? Are these acquired skills? Are they fixed? Is it something that can yeah. be modified over time? Or do some people just have quote unquote good hands and some don't? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, in my opinion, everything on this wheel can be cultivated. I would think you, you do see passion in the center of it. That one is very difficult for us to cultivate. So that's something we look for in the interview process. So if somebody is not passionate about orthopedics and they're, they're heading in the wrong direction, the best thing we can do is sort of help them find what they are passionate about before they head down that pathway. But other than that, I think everything on that wheel is something that can and should be cultivated and worked on and improved upon. Absolutely. That's a, that's a really great point. And I think um, the passion is what can really fuel the cultivation of those skills. It, it sure seems like so. The rage to master in each of those um, dedicated boxes. And certainly, I think um, one of the things that we look to do here is identify strengths and weaknesses amongst the residents as they progress to be able to say, these are areas where we really want you to focus, use that passion to build those skills. So how does Mayo use this in ongoing evaluations or other discussions with residents as they, as they progress through the program? Yeah. So a, a couple ways, I, I think Mayo is, is very uniquely structured compared to other residency programs in that we're designed as a mentorship model. So our residents work one-on-one with staff rather than in these huge service teams where you're rotating through and operating and going to clinic with different people. So you're paired up one-to-one with a a surgeon. So you see that person every every day, clinic, OR, clinic, OR, clinic, OR, uh, while you're on that rotation. So this gives the staff an excellent chance to really get to know that resident, not only on a professional level, but also a personal level. And then we can we can use this to really d- dive deep to sort of see what what are they very good at? What are they really struggling with? Because we see them every day and we see a day in and day out. And so as staff, we're able to sort of give that daily instantaneous feedback and we can correlate it with what we what they saw in clinic, too. So, here you know, here's what we're doing in the OR. And that's because we saw this in clinic. And did you pick that up or not? And, and so it's, it's a great way of sort of doing it hands on. In, in addition to that, we also sort of use this wheel as our uh, tool for doing formal evaluations of residents at the end of the rotation. Uh, so that usually happens at the end of each rotation. And then just like every other residency program, we have a clinical competency committee that has to meet. We typically meet uh, two times a year and review all of the residents' progress and how they're doing. And we, we have this wheel out and we go through it. And so if we find somebody who is struggling or is deficient in one particular area, we have sort of content experts in that area that we can plug that resident in with and help. So that's another way that the wheel has helped us, not only in sort of identifying issues that need remediation, but also actually developing a plan for remediating. So we have folks on our staff that are sort of experts in knowledge acquisition and, and application. 
That's not me, but we have some others that are really good at it. But then same thing in skill. We have a couple couple folks that have really dedicated their lives to, to teaching people how to develop surgical skills and manual dexterity. And then the same thing for the behavior. So we know that if there's a deficiency in knowledge, this is the person you're going to meet with, talk to, come up with a plan on how to improve and, and the same for the other categories. So it's really helped us on, on both ends. I think, I think that's just uh, awesome. And it allows you to be, not to overuse the word, but allows you to be pretty surgical in terms of your responses to uh, deficiencies, but also sort of encouraging strengths as you see them as they come up. And um, that's great. Can you, can you think of specific, any specific examples of times where a response to a resident who is struggling in one area or another uh, led to some progression through sort of intervention or discussion? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we've had residents that have had some level of deficiency in each of these areas. We've never had one resident have, have deficiencies in all, but inter- intermittently, you know, the, given the number of residents we have, some, some places are some residents that have struggled with one of these little wedges or slices of the pie. And uh, admittedly, we have extremely high expectations for these. And so oftentimes, if you're average in one of these, we want to make you better than average. And so that's our goal. So yeah, absolutely. We, we've had uh, folks that have really struggled with building their fund of knowledge, for instance. And so then we, we have them meet with a staff member that sort of sits down and reviews, okay, what is your study plan? How are you reading? How are you preparing for cases? What resources are you using? What's worked? What's not worked? We've had to meet with senior level residents. We've had to meet with staff members and then develop a study plan. And then we sort of help them follow it. We go along uh, through it with them. And then we set up ways that we can sort of assess their progress over time. And then, you know, once they're sort of up to speed and they have that foundation built, then they're off the plan and then, and then they're set free. And same, it's the same thing for the skills issues. You know, if somebody's deficient there, we can arrange to get them more time in our dry lab or the wet lab to work on specific things. Um, we can have the mentor that's working with them one-on-one sort of target those areas as well. So multiple examples in, in all of those three areas of the will. That's really great. And I think, um, obviously, I think the other part is for as a resident who's, who, let's say, you're really excelling in all aspects of the wheel, there's probably one that's lagging a little bit behind. So there's reason to be thoughtful about that. And I think for the resident that's struggling, oftentimes, it's, it's perhaps just one aspect that you're really struggling in and a, a short period of intervention, or change in habits over time can really sort of modify that. And um, I think, I think it's just a, it's a great thought. And certainly to have the faculty resources and others to be thoughtful in terms of intervening in those ways, I think is great. Another question for you, what, what do you think as, as residents or as applicants, certainly we have uh, medical student applicants and then early residents. And I think they tend to worry the most about fund of knowledge and potentially manual dexterity. What are your thoughts about areas where you see the most sort of consistency or, or areas um, where you think early, let's say early residents need the most improvement? Where, where would you have them focus or lean? Yeah. So actually we've started over the last couple of years when we have our new interns start, we sit as part of our orientation process, we sort of go through this and we show it to them and we go around the room and sort of ask, all right, what, where do you guys think personally you'll struggle on this wheel? And the most common things that come up tend to be either knowledge or skills related for sure. And then I, and then we ask them, which one do you think is most likely to get an orthopedic surgeon in trouble? And without question, they all answer behavior. 
Right. And so it's interesting. So we, we all tend to sort of have this thing. We, we worry about the knowledge and skills, but we recognize that it's often the behavior thing that's most likely to get somebody into real trouble. So I think going through that exercise is a, is a nice realization for people in doing that. So yes, they, they typically worry about knowledge and skills, but one of the things about those two areas is that they are the easiest to evaluate. Knowledge is relatively straightforward. We, we have plenty of ways to take tests and ask questions and assess knowledge. Same thing with skills. We have a lot of actually evidence-based things that Dr. Mark Morey and Dan Rissman in our group have really worked on developing ways that, so they can measure and objectively sort of quantify and qualify uh, surgical skills. And then if somebody's deficient, we can put, put forward a plan and do that. So those two things, even though most residents are worried about them, generally are not an issue. Those are very easy for us to identify and relatively easy to fix. The hardest one, I think, without question, and probably the one that has the most um, at stake would be that behavior category. Because I think that's one of those things that in, intrinsically, if we're, if we're not good at it, we tend not to recognize that. And, and that makes it harder for us to correct it. So I would say, even though it's, it's not that common that we have issues there, when we do have issues um, in, in, that, in that category, they can be the most significant. And those are the ones that we really want to identify early and jump on as quick as we can, because as soon as we can turn that around for that resident, the rest of their life, not only in orthopedics, but also outside orthopedics is going to be much better, much easier, and straightforward. And it will allow them to do a better job of then capturing the knowledge and skills that they need to as well. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think it's obviously critical. And it's also probably one of the more stressful times in your life where you really have to be thoughtful about your interactions with people, your interaction with multiple different groups of people and under very stressful conditions, both for you and for them. And I think it's uh, critical. What uh, I would like to have you back on for another podcast to sort of dig deep into some of your leadership curriculum. Can you give us just a sneak peek of what that is going to look like and how it maybe plays into um, the behavior aspect of the resin wheel? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things too, you asked earlier, are all of the, are residents sort of born with these things or can they be cultivated and learned over time? And, and I said, definitely learned over time. And I think we've, we've come to see that it's the same way with sort of leadership principles and skills. And I think that no matter what a resident's future goals are and what they want their career to look like, they are going to be a leader in some way, whether it's their own you know, small group practice or over, uh, you know, working with a, a PA or NP or trainer, or they're going to be the chair of some department, they're going to be in a leadership role regardless. And so part of that, I think, is leadership is also a skill that can be learned and acquired just like just like anything else. It's not always easy, but I think it's certainly worth trying. So we developed a, a leadership uh, principles curriculum that we use to try to accomplish just that or at least start that process. That's great. So I think I think um, this is really great information, Chris, and I'm, I'm, I'll try and wrap it up and then leave you with um the floor to uh, finish out with any parting thoughts. But what, what I've heard from you is basically no, not one specific prototype resident that uh, we're looking for at Mayo Clinic, certainly diversity of ideas, but also uh, diversity of backgrounds and diversity of future goals and expectations. I think the other thing that you talked a lot about is this resident wheel, how it plays into 
um, residents as they progress through the program, uh, resident uh, intervention if they're having uh, struggles, but also recognition as they're having successes. And that's really broken down into the categories of knowledge, surgical skills and behavior and driven by passion. And I think uh, there's a lot of room to grow in terms of building these sort of leadership curriculums as we go forward and working for specific interventions for residents as they move forward. And it's just a very exciting time. So thanks, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Any parting comments or thoughts about residency programs in general or um, what Mayo's looking for? Yeah, so I guess, first of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, of course. I really, really enjoy getting to talk, obviously, near and dear to our hearts here. So enjoy getting to talking about it. The, the last thing I would say is pe- people often ask, you know, why should they come do their residency at Mayo Clinic? I'd say I, I was a Mayo Clinic resident um, and, and then went away for a while and, and then came back uh, for a job. When If you would have asked me that question when I was an applicant or when I was a resident, why I chose Mayo, my answer would have been sort of the typical things that we hear, the mentorship model, the resources, the, the case volume, diversity of cases, research, all of those sort of things, uh, which are all good things. I think they're important. Now being on the other side, I realize none of those are actually the best part about Mayo Clinic. And, and what I've come to learn in talking with a lot of other Mayo Clinic alumni who are all over the world doing all sorts of different things, the biggest draw or the biggest perk of, of Mayo Clinic orthopedic residency program is that it doesn't matter who you are. If you come in wanting to be the best in the world at something, whatever it is, Mayo has the ability to help you get there. And I think even though all, all programs can probably train you to be a good orthopedic surgeon, it's difficult for some of them to have that flexibility. And so that, that what I think, that's what I personally think really distinguishes Mayo Clinic from all of the other orthopedic residency programs out there. Yeah, I think absolutely no question. So uh, thanks so much for your time, Christopher. We look forward to having you on some future podcasts, potentially talk about the leadership curriculum, which is uh, very exciting and I think going to be a um, significant expansion of the residency program and knowledge. And thanks again for coming. Thanks a lot, John. Really appreciate it.